Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership in Insurance podcast, or shall I say the Leadership in Product podcast. So today we've got our second panel episode. Um, been really lucky to be joined by some leaders um, in insurtech businesses that specialise in product. Um, and in this conversation, we're going to basically be diving into all things product related. Um, so very lucky to have a panel of some of the most prominent leaders uh, in the product space in InsureTech to discuss scaling both product and product teams and the lessons that they've learned from these roles. So without further ado, um, and simply going on the rotation of, of how I'm looking at it, uh, Monique, it'd be really kind if you could introduce yourself and, and, and your role and obviously the business that you work for. Yeah, absolutely. My name's uh, Monique Nelson. I'm currently Vice President of Product at Highwing. Uh, a little bit about Highwing. Highwing's a transaction platform for commercial middle market business. I know that's a mouthful, so I'll explain it uh, in just a minute. So it's uh, traditionally large and complex risks have um, really been not really been transacted digitally. So they're relying a lot on manual processes. You don't see that kind of straight through processing like you do in small commercial and personal lines. And so we're really solving that, um, looking to send structured data over the line. We're very early stage going for our series A. So super exciting times, but um, you'll, you'll see, you know, from when we dive into this, just how I think about product and how that impacts um, an early stage startup and how, um, you know, art and science and all of that just kind of come, come into play here. Um, I have spent more than 10 years in InsureTech helping to bring two startups to successful acquisition, um, really have done it all, product, partnerships, analytics, client success, and, and sales. Amazing. Thanks, Monique. Um, and again, just on rotation, Richard, you're, you're next on my screen, so it'd be great if you could introduce yourself. Sure, of course. Thanks, Alex. So yeah, my name is Richard. I'm the head of product at Zigo. Uh, So especially looking at the commercial fleet, so what we internally call B2B products. Um, So Zigo is an insure tech, so I'm going to put my product hat on like for a minute. It's a tech that happens to do insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Really, the mission mission at Zigo is really to uh, save customers time and money. I think we do that through um, you know, being a data and product-driven organization. So it's really looking at uh, diving at the problems that we want to solve for our customers and really keeping that mindset throughout the life cycle of the, of the journey. Uh, and that's it. Joined Zigo for uh, about a year and uh, still crazy about it. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Love that. Um, and Colleen, last but not least, it'd be lovely to hear from you. Yeah, thank you. So thanks for, for having me, Alex. Um, it's great to be here and um, great to be with uh, Monique and Richard. So 
Um, my name is Colleen Wells. I'm the chief strategy officer for a company called Veruna, an insure tech. Um, I've actually only been, I'm recently hired uh, with Veruna. I've only been with them two-ish months. So I'm super new, but really excited um, to be with, with them. They, we are um, an uh, agency management system, but really special. Um, we're built on Salesforce technology. So um, it's a little bit magical in terms of what we're able to provide for the agency space, along with uh, carriers, um, customers, um, and MGA solution, right? So really thinking about InsureTech and what, um, what InsureTech has tried to solve for in the insurance space for you know, the last you know, 10 plus years, Varuna has the capabilities of doing that with, with, um, with Salesforce in, in the background, right? So looking at our customers, the trifecta, right? Looking at your customers, your agents, and your carriers and breaking down those barriers and bringing them together um, to solve for how to do insurance business better, right? So I'm excited um, to work with Varuna to, to bring insurance better to to that team. So, and funny, Monique, when you were talking about your background, I was thinking, wow, we've, we've really been on a very similar path. So I've been in the insurance technology for a very long time, done a lot of the similar things, product strategy, customer success, implementation. So we've, we've been down similar roads. So excited to talk about it here today. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you all for doing those intros. I'm obviously Alex Bond. I'm the founder of FinPro, which is an executive search business in the insurtech space. Um, but obviously, I know next to nothing about product. That's why we've got experts here. Um, so thank you. And I think it's really good that we've got a real sort of spread of kind of what the InsureTech hat looks like um, from full stack insurers through to kind of more SaaS um, propositions. And even within that, utilizing different technologies, building upon like different technologies and, and serving different customers. So hopefully we can have a really uh, valuable conversation. So Monique, I wanted to start with you and you mentioned it in your intro. And I, I think this is a question that I talk about all the time. This is when I'm trying to fluff my line to pretend I know about product, um, which is, is, is great product building an art or a science? And, and I suppose when should teams listen to their gut versus the data? It seems to be a conversation I have all the time. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Yeah, it's such a great question. And I mean, the short answer that I have is it's, it's both. I mean, and it's so dependent on the stage of the company, stage of the product. Um, you know, I'm at the earliest stage company that I've ever been at. And it is so much, you know, really kind of trusting you know, what you're hearing and how you kind of turn that into product, but you're also testing hypothesis the whole time. So it's really a mix of, you know, while it is intuition based in terms of like which bets to take, you're still testing a hypothesis to see if it sticks and you're trying to really get to product market fit. Now, when you get to, you know, mid-stage companies, they've got it figured out, really they're trying to weigh prioritization? What do we do next? Which direction do we go in? Can we capitalize more and make more revenue? And I think that is driven a lot by data, a lot by data that you start to have that you don't have at early stage. You understand usage, you understand behavior, um, you understand buying decisions. And so that all influences you know, how, you, how you go to market. And, and that's really a, a powerful thing when you get to that stage. And then when you get to big companies, you get to acquisitions, there might be duplicate 
efforts all over the place. And then you're really starting to look at consolidating. And that I think is so much science-based. I mean, you're looking at, again, data, which product is going to get you the furthest, which might have better technology. And, you know, I've, I've done all, I've seen all of that. And so I think, you know, being able to kind of differentiate between what's intuition and, and where you need to kind of test those hypotheses is really that kind of art that comes into play. Mm-hmm. I say like loosely, I always think of it as like the arts, the imaginative bit that you need to create totally. interesting products and the science is, is the sort of proving bit, but then out of the science can come opportunities for more imagination as well. So it's, it's, it's like a, it's a circle rather than kind of an either or scenario. Um, just because I think that's a question we ask all the time. I wondered if any of other panelists wanted to chip in on that one, because I think it's such a, it's so core <laughs> in what where product sits. I can see Richard's been smiling throughout. So clearly I was, I was going to throw it to Richard and go, well, what do you think art versus science in the product space no no i, I think uh, definitely monique got it right you know if you'd overlap you know science and arts you know product management i'd say would pretty much sit right in the middle where both words live together uh maybe to add on that I, I, i'd say you know like uh, when you come into like defining what could be like a great product team I think it's really the, the, the teams that manage to really harness the, the pros and cons of each approach and mm. knows really how to dance really between these two, uh, these two worlds. And because like exactly as Monique said, like based on like so many variables, like the, 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 the stage of a company def- definitely is one, then you'd have to be more uh, artistic and then, you know, eventually become more scientists. I think it's that dense really that defines like, you know, great product teams know exactly when to switch their mindset to one more than another to really, I think, um, put the focus where it needs to be, like whether vision or execution, like sometimes, you know, one is more important than the other. And it's like that uh, back and forth between both. But yeah, spot on Monique for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Colleen, I saw you nodding in agreement. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you feel so. I was, I was going to ask you a slightly variation of that question because you've worked for very large insure techs and now you're working for a much more a startup business. Has that, and I know it's a bit unfair because you've, you've only been with the business sort of, as you say, sort of two and a half months. But do you think, is it more in the imagination stage now? And previously it was more in the, in the, in the, in the sort of data and science stage at bigger companies? Is, is that a fair reflection on how you've seen it or is that oversimplifying it? Um, I think it's a little bit oversimplifying it because I still think even, even at an early startup, there's the capabilities of using some data, even if it's not the data that you, that you, that you can measure yourself, you can mm. still pick, compare yourself against in the space, right? But I think I'll say something that I think we're, we didn't talk about, which I think is, I think is super critical. And I think we all forget. And I think it's the one place that, that we fail, right? Technology is meant, like we're here to do something for customers, right? We're here, technology, we're here to serve customers, right? And so the best products, right, are a combination of um, great user experience and improving some, like a solution for our customers. So operational efficiencies, simplifying processes. And so the key for me for successful product development is really truly understanding your customers. So listening to what their needs are, asking them what they want, not only asking them like, are they going to, are they going to like this, but are they going to actually use it once you've developed it? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and having those concepts as a guiding star for your product development 
And I think that's where a lot of companies fail because they forget about those things. They turn inwardly when they're thinking about product development and product management. Um, and that and and that's where they don't get things right. So we listen to ourselves and the gut that you're talking about instead of asking the users and and we get it wrong. Um, mm. And I've seen that happen at small insurtechs and large, large, large companies that I've worked for. And and you know that's where you know that's one of the reasons actually I came to Verona because the one of the reasons that really drew me here is is not only the possibilities of you know thinking about what we can do to like change the space, but how they listen to their customers, how they're thinking differently about improving the experience and being able to um, change really what the the customers need and want. And that's really what makes a solution so powerful and successful. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I particularly in the insure tech space, I think there's been particularly the earlier stages, and I think it's less so now. And, and obviously the funding environment has changed slightly as well. And that's kind of changed the dynamic of things. But, you know, I always think about, there was a really early stage coming out, I won't name them because it's very unfair, but they sort of basically came out with an insurance product that where they went, oh, it's 70% cheaper than anything. And it was absolutely fundamentally undeniably true but the price point wasn't enough that anyone cared. So everyone went, so what? You know, it was, it was so, and all this time and effort had gone in and they looked exactly as you said, inwardly, and they went, we can save 70%. Why wouldn't anyone want to save 70%? Because it wasn't important enough. It wasn't a big enough right. number. Nobody cared. Like we were like, we were, we were happy with the unit price. So it didn't really make any difference. So, and they weren't doing anything else outside of that. So I think that's really interesting. Um, Colleen, st staying with you actually, um, I wanted to talk to you about your specifically role. So you were brought in as chief strategy officer, but sitting within the product vertical. Um, and I wanted to kind of understand how, how you kind of strike this balance between strategy and product mm. and, and, and where the two overlap and where those two elements cross over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think it's, I mean, there's a huge overlap. There's a, there's a, there's a big overlap. Um, but I think there's a, there's a tangible distinction too, right? So when you're thinking about, um, when you're thinking about, strategy right so it's you're it's a thinking right it's a thinking process it's like what are we going to do in one to two years what are we going to do in three to five years where do we make those investments in in the in you know the five plus years and then and how do we how do we organize that and how do we think about that and make the right investments from a strategic perspective so that we um so that we're successful as an organization so that we have wins as a startup company so that we're doing the right things, the right go to market. We're having to, we're, we're thinking about who are our customers, who are our right customers, and how can we see that success in the near term and in the long term? So I think about that from a strategy. That's what strategy is. And then product is how do I get my product team to execute on all of those things, right? To then start thinking about, oh, you know, we have these great ideas on what we want to do in the one, three, five year stage. And how do we take that vision? and execute on that vision um, and bring that into the product. And so it's, you know, it's, there's a huge, I still see there's a big overlap between that strategic thinking and then, and that product development. And it's a huge team effort in terms of working together and bringing those together. Um, but I do think, and, and I, you and I have talked about this before, mm -hmm. the execution and the strategy, I think they're different. If you have, if you have a strategy team and then you have um, an, a product team and they're one person or one team, right? 
product development, product execution is always going to be first and strategy is always going to be pushed into the back, right? Especially in a, especially in a startup, right? Because you're trying to be, you're trying to be scrappy and you're trying to get things done and you got to get things out and you, you're kind of taking, like you, you, you got to go with what you have. Right. And so you kind of forget about it. And it's hard when you're executing to also be thinking about, Oh, what are we going to do in five years? Right. You're like, you're, you can't think about that. You're like, what am I going to do tomorrow? <laughs> right? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So sometimes in the beginning, it's nice to have the, the capability um, and the money, right. To have those, um, you know, to have those as separate roles. So, you know, Varuna, it's, it's great that we have that separately, um, but we do work as very much as a cohesive team in terms of, um, you know, talking about what we want to do, how we want to execute it, um, and, you know, how we're going to li- deliver it to the space. And it really does, our strategy really does lead into our product development efforts every, every day. It means every day we talk about it every day. So there's a huge overlap. Sure, sure. I suppose it, it echoes on what you were saying as well about the customer. You know, really what yeah. you're talking about is what does the customer want now or need now? What do they need in a year? What are they going to want in five years' time, uh, potentially that they don't even know about? And and yeah. that being that bellwether um, in the strategy team and being able to fill, feed that big build back into product. We so, say, right, yeah. we, we can't afford the time to do it now, but we need to start thinking about these things in the future. Um, yeah. Because we were having a really, I had a really interesting conversation on the 11FS podcast about, you know, we're building um, a working environment for the people that are working today. But we're t- we keep talking about this next generation of people that are coming, they're going to want different things, they're going to have different values, yeah. but we're not building the jobs for those people yet. And we need to start building the jobs and the working environments where, you know, we've, we've all allowed back into office now and loads of people have just like, bundled back into office because they'll go oh, I miss everybody <laughs> but people people who are joining that make friends online that don't see people face to face because that's just not the generation they're built up in it, it even applies to jobs so I think about it even from my perspective is like you know if a job is a product and it is in my world how are we building jobs for people in the future yeah. um, uh, Richard I wanted to come to you um, you've been uh, a product a product leader outside of the insurance industry up until this role is, it, is, is that correct to say or no you is a, there was a Zurich in the background um, yeah so I've actually started uh, a very small car insurance in Spain basically when I relocated to Barcelona about like roughly two years ago mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to give the insurer uh, tech a stab and see you know what this is all about from uh, coming from an angle of uh, how do we leverage data through telematics um, mm-hmm. so you know like basically trying to solve why do young drivers have to pay more than you know um, older drivers and why someone who drives really well have to pay more than someone who drives like uh, Lewis Hamilton on the roads mm-hmm. um, uh, and then yeah, decided to stay actually within the intertech I was like oh, this is actually quite interesting so I'm uh, going to give more some more years yeah <laughs> great well Lewis Hamilton would be all right it's if you drive like Max Verstappen yeah. I think it should be a problem <laughs> I, um, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the, the thing I wanted to ask you specifically was that you know coming into the insurance space what's the sort yeah. of biggest single product challenge that you've faced uh to date and and how have you overcome it within the concepts of insurance um i suppose that in my head i'm thinking oh is it regulated markets or is it is it is it something broader than that or, or more specific than that um so that's a very very good question and i think there are so many answers to that uh yeah because to be honest when i first 
joined the intratech world, I was like, wow, you know, my first impression was that this is going to move slowly. There isn't actually that much things to solve. And, uh, mm -hmm. well, two years forward, I'm still here and like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm, I'm barely scratching really the surface of that whole ecosystem. Uh, I think if I'd have to look at the one thing is, um, is how do we leverage data to really offer the, like the best products of tomorrow from the insurance point of view uh, with these changing worlds. Uh, I took an example earlier of like the young drivers and I truly believe that this can be exported to like many, many, many more use cases, but it's in the insurance, like you really want to choose like the right customers. It's always that, that sweet spot between the high growth where you turn like, I want to grow, 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 but then like, you don't want to kill your, uh, your loss ratios. And like, you really want to, mm. uh, ref um, you know, be sure that the, you have the right growth. So it's like moving that dial up and uh, up and down. And uh, I, I think that the, 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 the biggest challenge, and I'm still working through that, is really how do we leverage uh, any type of data around us to really come up with the best solutions to the problems. Like a young driver tomorrow gets the driving license. He's you know, 18, 20 years old, drives perfectly well, doesn't have an accident uh, the whole year and still go, still sees his premium going up 20% at the mm. end of the, at the end of the, um, uh, of the life cycle, completely unfair. Why? Mm. I think mo the, the, the honest answer up until today is because, well, the industry basically have done that for a century and it's just like people are almost get used to that. And mm -hmm. you often hear premium goes up. Okay. Fair enough. Like you, as you see actually really people even accepting, and unfairness here. And um, I think that is, uh, to me, still up until today, the biggest challenge of all is um, do that education piece with the, with the wide market and uh, try and bring all, the, all these data points that you can find uh, in um, uh, you know, offering the best solutions to all these problems and lowering of, uh, of premiums. How do we help customers, you know, like uh, lower the, uh, their accidents? Uh, bring them in the whole journey of when you have, when you have an accident on the road, what's your claim experience? Mm -hmm. So many problems, but if there is one to choose, definitely the, how do we leverage data at any given point to build the best products? Mm, interesting. Um, I wanted to follow up with that as well, because something that is, is I've, I've been lucky enough to interview a, a couple of your colleagues previously. And, and yeah. one of the things that stuck with me is that you're very strong on, we're a tech business that happens to operate in the insurance space. <laughs> um, and, and, and I was wondering how much that impacts the way that you think about product. Uh, well, I think, well, I'm lucky enough, like in Zigo, we've got, I think the A team really, when it comes to product management is we've got people very, very much like me coming from a wide variety of backgrounds from intertech, but we're also really fintech, uh, mm -hmm. media, any type of uh, uh, tech industry around. Uh, I think the crux of it all comes always comes back to putting the customer first. Like when, mm -hmm. as you said, Colin is like, it's so easy to get uh, lost in the weeds of trying to come up with, a, with an insurance product, trying to look, you know, five years ahead, this is what we want to do to make money. Blah, blah. I think, you know, when you get uh, the best product team around coming from different backgrounds, you know, it kind of gives you the ability to have diverse perspective to that, the problem. And uh, yeah, as you said, Colin, co to come back to just let's hold on for a second. What are we trying to solve here today? Like, you mm. know, what's the problem at the core of everything? And uh, 
I think it's. Uh, I think I would. I would really put down really to that is that ability to, to always come back at, at any given time to uh, to the customer you're trying to solve. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, I think it's not that the insurance hasn't been done hasn't done that in the past, but it's just having and London is such an amazing place for that. Being able to bring so many talents from all around, say like this is the problem. How do we solve it? Mm-hmm. And like really come back, uh, really come back to it instead of coming from an angle of the insurance, thinking about those ratios, etc. Is like what are we trying to solve? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. No, thank you for that. Um, Monique, coming back to you, um, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm hitting you with all the big questions. I, I suddenly realised that no not that they haven't been big questions previously, but but uh, I, I've got questions. It's like, how do you define great product management? Um, you know, you, you got art versus science, and now you've right? got all the hard just, hitters. Just define <laughs> define product management for us in, uh, you know, what two minutes? No, <laughs> no exactly. And as yeah. well as going on for that as well, just to extrapolate before, um, um, is that why do people get it wrong? Why does it go wrong as much as anything as well? So yeah, sort of two parts is defining what really good looks like within it, but but also what what why do people get it wrong? And that's such a good question. And I think, you know, kind of coming full circle back to what has already been said by, uh, by both Colleen and Richard is that we, you really have to think through it from the lens of your customer. And you also have to think through it when it comes to business outcomes. Um, Mm -hmm. So tying it back to your, your outcomes and what you're trying to solve, I think is so important. I think a lot of times you get caught up in features and benefits which is great. You have to have features. You're building features constantly, but it's not tied back to an outcome on the business side, then you're going to start to get it wrong. Um, One thing that stuck with me recently is, you know, we hear oftentimes that the technology is so great, but maybe you're not top in the, in the industry. And so maybe Oftentimes you see, am I being Betamax? I don't know if you guys have seen Mm. that Disney movie. You don't want to be Betamax. You want to have a balance of solving client problems and great technology. And I think that Mm. especially in the insurance space, there's just this technology overload. I mean, insure tech has become a buzzword in the last you know, five to 10 years. I mean, when I started in the industry, there was no InsurTech. And so I was with a company that was InsurTech before InsurTech was a thing. And there is just so much technology out there now that they're overwhelmed and inundated with change management. So if you're not building product with the customer in mind and the customer that will actually use it, not just who's buying it, but who's going to use it, then you're going to fail and you're going to fail at change management. So when I, um, I posted a, a poll last week around how do you measure success in product? Is it revenue? Is it usage? Is it something else? And I had some really great product leaders all over the map on that question because it's really, it's really difficult to line it to one thing. And, and, the, and the truth is it's the sum of many parts when it comes to building product. It's usage, it's adoption, it's revenue of course if you don't have revenue coming in you're betamax um Mm. and that's not where you want to be that's such an interesting point about how do you define success and then tying it to the commercials because i think particularly in the short tech space and and the earlier stage of it you know going back to my previous point um i i I know a brilliant bunch of um guys and they are guys i'm I'm really guilty of saying the term guys when i just mean 
people but um which I'm, which I'm trying to be better at actually because i got told off in uh, rightly so um uh but they're, they're, there's a bunch of guys that, that they had a great insure tech and it was a very specific analytics product and essentially they demoed it to everyone and everyone said this is brilliant the technology is amazing and you're right and but it just wasn't a priority so it was it was the Betamax theory, you know. I think Betamax was meant to be better quality, wasn't it? It was meant to be a better quality product. Mm-hmm. It was, it, and it just didn't it didn't fly because because they sort of stepped away from the commercials. Now I don't think it was necessarily that in this space. It's just like bad luck and um, not a priority enough, and and having enough runway to kind of stick it out. But you know, you can be right and you can be early. You can be you can be right and have a great product and nobody sees it. Um, this is why, like, it's funny in my space because sales and business development is still this kind of demonized thing within tech businesses. You know, I, I work with businesses that have t- the salespeople in a totally different building, which is insane and a bad idea. But there's sort of demonization of that. And you're like, if, well, if they don't sell it, <laughs> you can't keep iterating. Mm-hmm. And there's always that kind of great, the, the best sales teams have a great relationship with product because they're, they're such a good instantaneous feedback loop to you. Um, right. So yeah, I, I find, I find that stuff fascinating. What came top on your poll um, in terms of what was the kind of over, yeah, overall? So thing? revenue actually did. And yeah. so I had a second part of that is if there should be sales training for product because I have a sales background. I started out in sales and it's interesting, right? I see your face, Richard. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Is there an element of sales to product? And I think that to some extent there is, I mean, you have to have bonding with clients. You have to have an understanding of their pain and what's causing that and what the biggest pain is. And you also have to be able to communicate that and articulate it. And And I think that, you know, there is kind of some element of sales within product, especially, especially now. I mean, the sales cycle is changing. Product is changing. Product like growth is a big deal. And so you're starting to see kind of product kind of leading the charge here when it comes to, you know, business outcomes. And I think that it's important to to constantly start to think and, and think through that is would that benefit the product team or is it a distraction? Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, actually, uh, Colleen, about sales and product. And hundred uh, percent, they're a partner in crime, <laughs> without a <laughs> doubt. I mean, so not uh, working at you know some of the larger corporations. We you know insurtechs. We we always got feedback from sales in terms of into our roadmap. Um, they're the first the first line in from a customer perspective. So when, you know, from prospect perspective, and so they're answering RFPs, they're talking directly to, you know, to those first handout for customers of, of like what they're looking for. And they're really understanding some of what Monique said about those pain points, right? And so they are getting some things that the product team isn't getting up front. And they're getting later, right? So they're getting it first, the sales guys. And so they're critical, I think, to be part of that conversation and that product discussion. Um, mm. And, and you know, you, you have to reach out to them and ask them those questions. What do you need? What are you hearing? What do you need in the product? What are your customers saying? What are your prospects saying? What are you seeing on the on the RFPs for, for certain? You know, the other thing that struck me when when Richard and Monique were saying from, from the insurance industry perspective is, I think too, where where 
where we get it wrong is we get lost, right? Like it's, we forget the customer. That's, you know, that's the obvious point, but we go back to our old ways and, you know, it's, we always, we know about insure tech and it's this big buzzword and we're like, yes, we know we love it. We see it as, we see it as this partner in the ability to help us solve, but we don't know how, we almost don't know how as in like, at, forget about the, uh, hold the customer to the aside for a second, but agents, carriers, it's like, you can't break those silos and it becomes a barrier to success, like the confusion of what's going on in the space. And so that, you know, the, the, the problem in terms of th that not being able to come together as an industry, I feel like also has been, has been one of the challenges for insure tech to be able to be successful. I see that changing. I have seen that significantly change, um, particularly, I hate to say this, particularly since COVID, I hate to say that, but mm -hmm. I mean, it has, cause it's changed. Alex, you mentioned it's changed how we work. It's changed how we think, but it's still a barrier for us um, in terms of being able to take advantage of some of those, some of the technologies, see even some of the processes of how we work together. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully that will, you know, hopefully we'll start to think differently um, as an industry um, and take some cues from some of the other, the other industries that are out there, fintech, and that have mm. been more successful than, than insurance has been. Mm. I, have, I see Richard laughing, but it's so true. No, no, yeah, it's completely true. It's completely true. I've had like a time in fintech and it's true that it's a, the, the entire ecosystem is completely different. Like all the actors like actually play together. So yeah. the, so the, the addition of all the parts makes a greater, you know, make a greater result. And sometimes it feels like, yeah, InsureTech is still lagging behind on that aspect. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We'll I get think, there though. We'll get there. Yeah. I think everyone likes to play the blame game. I mean, I've been in this industry a long time and I worked for a big carrier and when things went wrong at the carrier, it's because the broker messed it up. And when thing, yeah. when the brokers, they, they always blame yeah. on the carriers. And then if it's not them, it's like third party providers. And, and, and you go, it's probably, it's probably equal share, you know, at some point along yeah. the way. And, and actually, if we kind of committed to just saying, let's communicate with each other, but that is cultural. It's a cultural shift. And I think you're right, yeah. Colleen. I think, I think it's, you know, if you think about just taking Lloyd's as a perfect example, the electronic submission just wasn't taking off like it wasn't happening then it had to happen funnily enough it's happening now you know because it's like oh, oh we've made this work so you know it's no surprise to me that that's happening um talk about successes and failures um Colleen, i wanted to ask you um how how do you keep a product team upbeat when products fail um and then also kind of i suppose i'm I'm really sort of getting into the, the weeds of like how this works and, and then also not letting them lose focus if something's wildly successful because i'd imagine both of those are equally the wheels fall off either end of that um yeah i mean so i think at a startup even if it's you know even if you're you know mid startup ish a little more into it right i think there's an expectation that things are going to fail mm -hmm. and it's okay. Right. So it's, you know, you, it's, it's okay to fail, you know, as long as with failure, you learn, um, and, and you, you take responsibility. Right. Um, and, and then, and you learn for the next time. Right. And I think the things, those things are okay. And people who are in the startup world, 
um, know that's going to happen, right? Even if they're not up in the startup world and you're working, you're working agile and you've been in the, the you know, you've been in insurance, you've been in, in technology space for a while, you're, believe me, you've, you've failed this game one time or another. So you're used to it. So I, th I think those things happen and people are just used to it. And you just, you pick yourself up, you learn, you've learned something for next time and you apply it, right? <clears throat> and as long as you're doing those things, it's okay. I also think um, it's okay to be successful, be wildly successful and, um, and, 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 um, and cheer for that, right? Like I encourage that, like, that's how you, that's one of the things about building great product teams is to understand what you did wrong and, uh, and apply it to the next time, apply, apply that failure to the next time. And then to promote those sex to those successes. Right. So like, I think about it as like a football team, right? So as long as you have like, you know, the Super Bowl. So, you know, you, everybody's going to win the Super Bowl. No one wants to lose. You don't get into this game because you want to have a failed product. You want to have something super successful. You want to have something that achieves something super special and magical and powers the industry for your, your customers, your agents, the carriers that does something for the industry, right? You don't get in this game for anything other than that. That's the Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. So you're here to deliver and play like a team and win like run, right? And so that's what you got to promote. And so if you, if you, and that's how you have a great product team, right? You have to dream big, win big. Sometimes you fail, right? That's, that's what it's all about. That's the game. <laughs> I love that's that. a successful product team. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I suppose it was funny because we were defining what success looked like. And as you were speaking, I was like, you know defining what failure looks like in the product space as well because yeah. as, lo as long as you're learning and, and i presume failing quickly is, is always the famous yeah. thing isn't it and then moving on then you're in a good space i am I'm, I'm intrigued about successes though because i think so this is something i am very guilty of and and you know working through therapy on uh is that everything that goes right is 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 sort of luck everything that goes bad is fundamentally my fault I know. And, uh, you know and and uh and that's why i think about success being quite difficult to sometimes manage you can get clouded by oh we've sold this product brilliantly and it's done really well financially and then you don't question whether it's right or not or perfect or better and, and it could be that you're just better than everything else and everything else is terrible as well so i was interested about kind of like how do you i suppose how do you maintain the sort of <clears throat> thirst and desire for greatness in a product that's doing very very well um monique did, did you have any thoughts on that i'm intrigued to see what you think about that yeah yeah i mean such a great question um you know i was i was listening to to someone we had our company offsite a month or so ago we had someone a speaker come and join and they've seen tons of success early on uh, and he said something that really struck a chord with me and it was you know early on it was so easy to build product because we just we just did it but then mm -hmm. as time goes on you know things slow down you got tech debt did you maybe, you know, not take a great look at the architecture side of things and you need to go back and kind of shore things up? And I think that that's such a great thing to be aware of when you're building product is that your architecture and what you're building it on, that foundation is really important. And if you don't spend enough time with the foundation, you're on a hamster wheel at some point and you're just trying to, to keep up. And, and if you are successful, and you're on a hamster wheel, then you're just, it's just a matter of time before you start to kind of lose 
lose that. And so I think it's important um, to, to be kind of critical of, of that foundation and make sure that that foundation is strong and solid and able to scale. Um, and it's something that when you're in a startup, you're just constantly trying to get new things out the door. But if you're not conscious of the foundation that it's built on, then you won't be successful. Mm. And so it's success isn't just about revenue. It's about, do we have a lot of tech debt? Is this going to fall down? Do we have tons of support tickets? And I think that, you know, there's a lot that kind of goes into this, but I think being able to say and confidently that your product is able to withstand lots of people, lots of traffic coming in and out, I think is so important. And that's something I think that's often overlooked when you think about product. It's, well, we've got revenue, we're selling it, but is it able to withstand the test? I don't know. I think that's something to, to really be aware of. And it's such a like fine balance. Mm-hmm. Richard, I wanted to uh, bring you in on this because because I was going to ask you a sort of related question, really. Um, and uh, it was it was really about kind of maintaining momentum because, you know, Zigo is a very, you know, very fast growing, you know, subsequently very large business. And, and how do you keep that momentum going in a business that's 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 scaling at that speed? Um, I, I kind of get it in smaller businesses. It's kind of mainly because I've, I've I have worked for very, very, very large businesses, but they've always been very established. You know, I worked for a big carrier, which <laughs> moved at glacial speed. Um, you know, you're working in this sort of hyper growth business. How do you keep momentum inside your team? How do you? Uh, it, and it's kind of very closely related to that. So it's like, how do you kind of keep that sort of inquisitive kind of drive going um, in that in that environment, in that context? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like the funny thing that you're mentioning here is that we've actually set up part of our organization and the one I'm looking after uh, as a Series A. Uh, so we keep saying that to, uh, to people internally. It's, it really is the mentality we're going after is that within Zigo, like our group is very much like a self-contained Series A startup within mm. uh, a scale-up company. Uh, and that comes with the, uh, I think, notion that um, and concept that is more and more, I keep hearing more and more in, in the insurtech industries, the, 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 the concept of uh, MVP product. I think uh, when you look at what really motivates product people is like that learning, uh, uh, learning phase that you were uh, saying, Colleen, it's all about really taking the experience and the learning out of everything, whether it's a failure or success. What's so important actually is what you learn from it. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is to start small. You say, look, we don't need to wait a whole year to have this like entire new product flashy that is mega scalable. Uh, I think let's think about scalability as Monique said, step two. First, like we have to learn first whether this is going to stick around. And that's the whole concept of MVP. And when you strip down into uh, translating that to your product team is like, it's a constant innovation. It's like, and that's what gets, uh, keeps them up at, at night is like, that's what, what, what MVP am I going to do next week? What, what is the MVP I'm going to do the next month? What I'm going to learn? I think it's the best way to keep your, um, your product team motivated is really like infuse that MVP mindset in everything that we do, whether it's an internal external launch, it's like everything can be MVP. And uh, so I'm a big fan of like that concept from uh, Japanese philosophy Kaizen. I think that I get that from like my uh, 10 years experience in the tech industry is like, you know, 
today has to be better than yesterday and tomorrow has to be better than today. That's it. You don't need to look at after that. Like, let's look at what you're going to do tomorrow and then, you know, iterate on it, learn from it, and then think about scalability. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe I'm going to wrap this up into, you have to make sure that you bake that into your, uh, into the values. When you start recruiting product mm -hmm. teams, you have to make sure that you recruit the people who really believe and buy into the approach. Otherwise, it's basically not going to work, long story short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, obviously recruitment's my, my stock and trade, that's what I do for a living. But I was, I was, I was, I thought we've got to lead to that at some point. Surely we're going to get to, we got to hire the right people for the right teams. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and hiring of values, I know is important to the Ziga business. And uh, it's no yeah. surprise that it continues in the, in the product team. Wanted to talk about hiring, actually. And I wanted to come to you on this, uh, Colleen. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't like the way I put this question because I was going to say what are the biggest mistakes founders make when hiring their first product leader. Um, I just feel like it's a, it's a negative way of looking at it. But, you know, what, what should a founder look for? So like a non-product founder, SaaS-driven business, what should they look for in their first product hire? Um, let's assume they've got some money to actually hire whatever they want within that kind of range of people we could, but what should they be looking for? What do you think is important? Yeah, good question. Um, so I think that, so I, so I think, I think that founders need to look for someone that, especially on the product side, right? Where they, that can execute on the vision, right? I talked about this earlier, right? So product, the product role is really taking that part of the strategy and then delivering that to the customer, delivering that technology solution to the customer. And so it does go a little bit back to what you were talking about in terms of where do they make the mistake, right? But when you're looking for a product, um, uh, you know, a, 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 a product leader, I think where we, where we fall down a little bit is you'll a lot of product leaders have done a lot of things in their past like look at Monique and I right we have tons of experience all over the space and we've done all sorts of things right so you know customer success implementation um you know technology maybe you at some point in time you were a developer right mm -hmm. you don't want that person to do to, maybe at some point during especially in a startup right again everybody's scrappy and we may do some of those things over the course of our life as a product leader but that's not what you hire that person to do. And so when you're looking for that person, you really need someone who understands product, who understands how to deliver, who understands how to model roadmaps, who understands and knows passion for customer and technology. And you've got to remember that because if not, you'll fall into the old trap of this person's a project manager. This person doesn't know how to get teams excited and passionate about delivering something to the industry and really empowering the space. And again, I go back to what I said before, you know, that's really what it's all about, really getting your customers a solution um, and getting them excited about something that you're delivering. And if you don't have that right person in that seat, you're, you know, you're going to fail. Mm. So. Mm. I love that sort of like that, that there's so much about energy and, and, and uh, I always think of good leaders, in, particularly in startup businesses, as, as they're cheerleaders, like the best yeah. people, are, like, like they just have energy, like they have to have energy. Now they can display it in different ways. Obviously, they have to have mastery of the area. But we've all worked with people that have mastery. 
that you wouldn't want to <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. want to leave it to them to motivate you know so I think you know I, I we specifically specialize in earlier stage businesses seed and series a and nine times out of ten you know I might find a more qualified person but I'm thinking it's not the person I want to you know run a marathon with because like these this person I think can run a marathon I think they've got the energy the other person you know not so much so uh, there's so much in that it's a bit intangible and I wanted to bring you all on this question but I'm, I'm definitely going to start with uh, Monique in this because I'm conscious of time and I really wanted to get your kind of your sort of views on this uh, Monique what are for you and and this is a really tough question <laughs> I've done it to you again it's like I, think, I feel like, I've started in a row. Really, like, like, <laughs> I'm not saying they haven't been for tough questions outside of that but I think you know what are your like must ask questions when you're what you're hiring so someone in your team product manager for your team um what are your like must ask questions in in, in a product interview um it's, yeah it's a great question I mean to, to be honest I think the right questions are important but I, I find myself leaning more into what they're asking. If you're curious about the product, you're curious about the industry, you're curious about how to you know, take something to market, that to me is so important. So while I think it's great to be able to ask the right questions, I, I always find myself really kind of leaning into the questions that they're asking. So I think you can tell a lot about a person about just their curiosity level and whether they'll be successful. I think oftentimes we lean into someone having to have industry experience, someone having to have, you know, years and years of experience when really, I mean, something that, that I often ask for is what are you optimizing for? And it's something that it takes a little bit of thought you're not going to be able to necessarily answer this like right off the bat. I've had I've had people say, hey, I love that question. I'm going to think about it and and I'll answer it at the end. And I like that because what what that does is it allows someone to really think through how they would answer it. Are they optimizing for scale? Are they optimizing for the team and, and team camaraderie. And I think you learn a lot from someone with that question. And, and it also kind of throws people off a little bit. So it allows you to see how someone can think on their feet or if they take the time to be thoughtful, which I think are all really great skills when it comes to product management. Amazing. And, and I wanted to get all your thoughts on this because I, I thought this was a sort of interesting thing for particularly non-product-led founders uh, on this so Richard coming to you do you have any like must-have questions that 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 you put into your your tricky product interviews um I definitely agree with Monique actually um maybe to add I'd say um, um I tend to go with like open-ended questions I think mm -hmm. uh if you friend it too much you it's almost too easy for them I want to see uh, if someone is organized, if they actually uh, try and answer within a reasonable time frame, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you can tell a lot about, you know, how long do they take to answer a very simple answer or like, do they take the time to think about it, as Monique said. So, uh, yeah, I say in general, uh, try and keep them open-ended, uh, more than guided. Uh, and then so many of them, it really depends on the person in front of you, really. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. And Colleen, I know you're, you know, very much someone, I would say you're like really personality driven in terms of kind of like how you 
uh, build bonds with people. And, you know, you and I have got to know each other over a period yeah. of time. And, 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 yeah, I always love your energy. Does that impact your interviewing style? Or do, do, how do you structure your interviews when you're looking yeah, for people? I mean, I think I, I think I'm a little opposite. I mean, I love people. I always want people to come prepared with questions. I mean, I think you have to come to an interview and ask a lot of questions. Sure. But I actually tend to ask a lot of questions too. Because I think it's the it's my one opportunity to really get to know a person, and so I grill. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a hard. I mean, but, it, but in a nice way, right? But I think the two questions that I ask they're a little bit tricky, and I ask them. I always ask them. I ask them on purpose, and I and I wrote them down so to share with you guys. So the person, the first thing I ask is, what's your biggest failure as a product manager, and why did it happen? And I, this really helps me understand them a little bit in terms of it helps them think critically about like a role as a product manager, talk about a little bit about their sense of ownership and um, what do they do? How do they make it better? And how do they handle it, right? And it goes back to what we talked about before is how are they gonna handle in a team environment? How do they handle a, the agile environment? And how are they as a person? So that's the first one. And the second one that is my all time favorite is what's your favorite, what was one of your favorite products um, and what's something you would have changed about it? And this is a little bit of a tricky question and because this, this tells me a little bit again about them. What do they value as a product manager? Mm. Um, um, what do they think about in terms of product in general? So how do they, when they think about priorities, what is it that they're loving about it? How would they have improved something from a process perspective? So it's very product manager driven in terms of the question itself. But the tricky part is, Again, I go back to why did I come to Varuna? It's always about your customer. And so mm. if they don't tell me that they found out something or they heard something or something triggered something about, they did something in the product that their customer felt wasn't what they wanted, they failed the answer. <laughs> because that's <laughs> what, if something is wrong in your product, it's because you didn't deliver something that your customer wanted, right? A hundred percent of the time. And so I'm always looking for that as an answer. And I'm looking for people who understand that because they're going to be customer obsessed. And that's the type of person that I want to hire on my product team. Those are good. I'm going to take it's those. Like a tough oh. interview. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I so those eight people, Richard. <laughs> I think what's interesting about that is that I, as soon as you were saying that, I was thinking it's the reverse of, I used to do some training for interviews for, um, we had this program in the UK, which was sponsored by the government, which is about taking people from industry and making them teachers, but then pushing them to senior leadership roles within schools really quickly. It was called the Future Leaders Program. And what you found when you interviewed people, is they framed everything as we because they were teachers. So they wanted to be in teams and environments and that's their nature. They were very giving. And and we, big coaching we had to take about them was they had to say I, like and what their role was because they would give away their ownership of, a, of something they'd solved to the team. Whereas what you were saying that I was thinking it'd be in, so interesting to see how many times when people say, what's your biggest failure? I, yeah. I reckon so many people went, well, we did this. Yes, <laughs> and then totally. when you say, what's your basic success? <laughs> well, I did this. And, uh, and I I would look for that um instantly but that's that's such a that's a helpful piece of advice um i, I wanted to finish just on this and there's just a bit of fun there's nothing that serious and i, I haven't prepped you for it so um uh, forgive me um i want to just just go around the three of you and and um i'll start with you i'll start with you richard i'll be mean to you uh what's the single biggest advice you've been piece of advice that someone's given you maybe a maybe a former boss or something within the product space that like always resonates with you I'll, I'll kick off in the recruitment space my first ever boss said he just always said to me Alex we're not saving lives here 
so whenever I got too stressed, he was like, you know, we, we get people with good jobs, better jobs. Like, <laughs> and it's always yeah. resonating with me. And anytime I get too stressed, I'm like, we're not saving lives here. So that's my bit. Um, but Richard, yeah. Can you think of anything of one piece of advice you've been given that resonates with you? Yeah, I'd say this actually goes along these lines. It's uh, don't take uh, don't take it personally. Like never yeah. take anything personally. I think uh, it always yeah. sticks with me and keep saying, uh, you know, you're gonna fail it's a, like it's a show but it's the only thing i'm sure you're gonna fail at some point just don't take it personally <laughs> that's it perfect i forgot how much product is about failure and iteration and taking feedback so if you take it personally <laughs> like i'd be so thin-skinned in product i'm not built for it at all um <laughs> monique uh, over to you yeah i would say when i was just starting starting out in in product and um, someone told me that you have to act like a mini CEO and that has really stuck with me. And I think it's how I lead my teams. It's how I kind of show up every day. It's that ownership piece. And I think it's so critical, um, to product is to really have that, have that pride and have that, you know, this is, this is something that, that I'm building and I'm, you know, kind of, kind of showing up every day with that, that cheerleader hat on to, to, to get the vision out there. And, um, it's, it's how I kind of show up is to, to really have that ownership. Awesome. Awesome. And Colleen, lastly, with, uh, with yourself, is there any piece of advice that sticks with you? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to tried and true, right? So it's be customer obsessed, right? Um, you know, it's always put the customer first and think about it from their shoes, from a product delivery perspective. Um, but I'll go back to something that Richard said that um, <laughs> that's, that has kind of stuck with me also is there's always tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Don't worry, you'll get it better tomorrow. Yeah, I love that. So don't take it personally. Yeah. You, you're definitely going to fail. Act yeah. like a mini CEO and there's always tomorrow. What great advice. Um, I can't thank you enough for being guests on the podcast. I really appreciate you there. So we're always trying to kind of make things different on the Leadership and Insurance podcast. So it was a real privilege to have all three of you here. And thank you so much for giving up an hour of your time. Um, I genuinely, genuinely appreciate it a great deal. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Alex. You're welcome. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe, and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business, and we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time. Please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com, for more information. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insurtech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com, or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.